Welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, August 12th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Needless to say, as usual, jam-packed. I've got Camp Intel wall-to-wall, coast-to-coast. We're going deep diving in the SEC, but I've also got some stuff from Texas. A lot of quarterback sauce in the show tonight. There are a lot of quarterback position battles that I think may be presented one way, let's say in the preview magazine culture, that I just don't think are as they may appear on the surface. Now, you may end up getting the starter you thought you would, but there's a lot of competition out there. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. So we've got several updates there. Also, I think defense, and for that matter, competitive balance, may be secretly making a comeback in college football, at least for the 2021 season. There are many different reasons for that. I'm going to detail those tonight. Also, really good piece on 247sports.com today that I was looking at and decided to kind of throw in the show which assistant coaches are the most surefire future head coaching candidates. This is going to be a movement year, I think. There are several guys that are pretty well positioned to springboard and use 2021, I guess, as a springboard. So we will discuss all that. The Twitter and Instagram accounts have really blown up this week. So thank you. And if you haven't already followed, please do so. At Late Kick Josh. Uh, follow, but sharing and tagging me when you share it, that really helps. I share as many of them as I can when you do it in the Instagram story. Uh, when you let people know you're watching on Twitter, that helps. That's marketing and it's free. So we don't have to spend a dime on it. We couldn't even if we wanted to. So you are the marketing campaign. You are the marketing department for us. The Late Kick Podcast, I plug it every now and then. It's doing really well. I would encourage you to go listen, especially to the back half of this morning's Late Kick Extra podcast. As I said on Twitter, it's either the best work or the worst work I've ever done here, and it's all going to depend on your perspective. In my opinion, it's both, but it's going to depend on your perspective. Five-star reviews. We're approaching 2,000 of them, so make sure you leave one there while you're listening. I'm just going to throw out a little tease, and we're going to enter the show. I cannot tell you any more than this. I'm just going to look at you and the hundreds of you that have asked me this question over the year and a half that I've worked here. If you want to work at 24-7 Sports... I would encourage you to watch the Sunday night show. Let's dive into the Thursday night show. SEC camp intel, wall to wall. We have no time to waste. Let's dive in. You smell that, don't you? There's a little bit of smoke coming from Athens, Georgia. Not the practice field, mind you, but mainly the message board talk radio culture. And it's about Eric Gilbert. Eric Gilbert, by way of LSU, after a brief vacation in Gainesville, is now a University of Georgia wide receiver. At least that's what he's listed as. But if you believe some of the smoke on the message boards, there's something going on. What is that something? We don't know. That's the nature of a message board rumor. It carries with it precious little value and specific intel, but boy, it makes a lot of waves. So here's what I would caution you to do. I've had a bunch of people asking me about this. I called Rusty Menzel, street name Coach Rusty, this morning, and I said, Rusty, what's going on? And Rusty said, dude, don't worry about it. Don't, he didn't say that to me directly. I'm telling you after I talked to Rusty, don't worry about this. There are some things happening this weekend. One of them is called a scrimmage. They're going to have all their donors in Sanford Stadium to watch that scrimmage. Number two, the head coach there goes by the name of Kirby Smart. He will meet with the media this weekend. So if there is anything to the speculative nature of the way people are talking about Eric Gilbert right now, you'll find out about it this Saturday by the time the sun goes down. And secondly, as for what I've heard, nada. In fact, I've talked to someone with the team there, and they had to ask me what I was talking about. Does that mean there's nothing going on? Not necessarily. It just means if there is something going on, literally every person I have known to come to trust surrounding Georgia football doesn't know anything about it, or they've been sworn to secrecy. Here's what I would encourage you to do. 
I would encourage you to pay attention to what is for sure going on. And that is Georgia's got some really big horses making moves at tight end. Now, Gilbert's not going to be technically listed as a tight end this year, but I'll tell you who is. Darnell Washington and also Brock Bowers. Those are two guys whose names keep getting brought up, and they were brought up again today to me. And I think you're going to hear a lot more about those names this coming Saturday when they scrimmage for the first time in Sanford Stadium. These are matchup nightmares. Uh, This is why you should have a lot of excitement about the versatility of the Georgia passing game. See, it's one thing if you've got a lot of names at wide receiver tight end, but they just all look the same. But when you've got guys that on one hand can smoke the top off a defense, but then you've got a 6'7", 260-pound tight end, which used to be a tackle back in your day, depending on your age, used to be a tackle, and in all honesty could be today in some offenses, but can move and has a really good wingspan, can do some things athletically. That's what you should be excited about. Todd Monk is the offensive coordinator at Georgia, met with the media today. And he said something that's pretty unique. You don't hear coordinators say this a whole lot, but because of the nature of last year and the fact that they did not get spring with their guys, Todd Munkin said when asked about Darnell Washington, we found out he could do some stuff later in the year we had no clue he could do. They viewed him one way. They thought he was capable of being more an inline blocker. And, you know, maybe he can spill out if he's the third or fourth option and defenses have overlooked him. And we can get him the ball and maybe he can pound away for a few extra yards after the catch. But then they started throwing the ball to him some. You watch the games, if you saw Georgia games last year late in the year, and all of a sudden you see just this behemoth down the middle of the field in a seam catching a ball. And he's got three defenders he's dragging with him. And it kind of looks like child abuse, to be honest with you. And you say, What is that? Excuse me, who is that? But really, what is this? Well, that's a tight end, and he's going to be a lot more integral part of their passing game this year. I'd be a lot more excited about that than I would be investing my time about rumors that there's really no validity to at the moment. Now, let's move to Columbia, South Carolina. Some good things, some not so good things at South Carolina. Uh, To be fair, it's going to be a struggle in year one for Shane Beamer and his staff. Now, I don't even think they are under any illusion other than that, but you can miss a bowl game and find some good things. You can see some some flowers grow up through the cracks even in a down year, but let's talk about the good first. So with South Carolina this year, we all have known since they put on the pads for the first day of spring practice, wide receivers going to be a relative weak unit, or at the very least, a question mark unit for this team. That hasn't changed. Now, there are two names that I think they have come to find they can depend on. I was reading some of Tony Morrell stuff over on the Big Spur today, and two names that he circled were Jalen Brooks and DeCarian Joyner. Now, Jalen Brooks, for different reasons, is a guy that had potential last year, but I don't even think he got cleared until game four, game five. So they just, they didn't get a body of work with him. And even when they got him back, you got to know if you've got a guy back mentally, has he developed? Is he in shape? They never had Jalen Brooks where they wanted him last year. So he's got a full year and a half's worth of all of those things. Uh, But also he's a really, really good vertical threat, probably the best vertical threat and most dependable vertical threat they'll have this year. The name to carry and joiner though, For those of you around the South, you remember that name. You don't remember him at wide receiver. You remember him a lot more at quarterback. Uh, At one point, he was in the quarterback competition there at South Carolina. Well, he's not now. He's playing wide receiver. And the good news out of there is it sounds like, unlike when he used to hop from position to position, like Blake Sims used to do at Alabama, Sims ultimately landed at quarterback and won an SEC title. Well, that's not what DeCarian Joyner's doing, but he has landed at wide receiver. And it sounds like he's pretty comfortable there, and he's a really, really good leader. I mean, it's just 
you've probably been on teams before. It doesn't matter how vocally a guy leads if he can't play. You just you respect them differently if they can perform. Well, DeCarry and Joyner can perform. He's just got to develop. I mean, he's got he's got some time and some ground to make up, some reps to make up, but he's doing that. That's the good news. The bad news, uh, which I didn't see coming, I don't know where this came from, is Prunty, the corner transfer that they got from Kansas, he's gone. Looks like he's gone. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. The secondary is going to be bad this year. I'm not talking about original recipe. I'm talking about extra crispy bad. And so it's just going to have to be something you bite the bullet and deal with, but it's also something that if this coaching staff packages it up and sells it the right way, they can take on the recruiting trail. And I'm never one to advocate for promising playing time, but for all intents and purposes, they can promise playing time to half a dozen defensive backs because they got to load up on them this next cycle and they're going to be able to point to the TV screen and they're going to be able to say, you see this right now? You're telling me your son or you, if I'm talking to the kid directly, you're telling me you can't come in and compete and win a job here? I think you can. If you think you can, here, sign this. It's a scholarship to play football at South Carolina. So there's some good and some bad there. Uh, it's usually all good at Alabama, and this will be no different. I'm not talking about quarterback or anything like that. We got a lot of quarterback in the show tonight. But Alabama's coming off signing the highest rated class in 24-7 sports history. The highest rated class, so much so that Ohio State just picked up Quinn Ewers, and since he reclassified, he gets added to the 2022 class or 2021 class, and they still didn't come close to passing Alabama. So they just kind of added another number one quarterback in the country rated kid, and they still couldn't pass Alabama. Well, if you have a class that loaded, it stands to reason we're going to see several of them. And at Alabama, even a program as loaded as this, it's kind of become fashionable for Nick Saban to play a lot of these true freshmen. They don't keep them off the field. One of the biggest misconceptions in the world is you got to go sit the bench multiple years before you play at Alabama. I have no clue where it comes from. It's just flat out not true. And so I'm looking at some of these teams this year. As you look at the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, um, these are the highest rated classes of all time. That's not this cycle. And so Florida, 324 back in 2010, and that class did not live up to the billing, by the way. Bama cleared them by a solid three points. Three points is really big in our industry. You see how tightly packed number two and number three and number four were. So, yeah, uh, this class is really good. Some names that I've had mentioned to me. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just the list of names for true freshmen at Alabama that I'm telling you keep an eye on. A Jai Hall we saw in the spring game. I don't think it's any mystery that they have to have at least two of these freshman receivers really pop for him. I think he'll be one of them. Ja'Cory Brooks, mentioned by name by Nick Saban earlier today. I think he'll be another one. And JoJo Earl is a guy that a lot of the team insiders there have made sure to point out at every turn. He's from out in Texas, and he's going to be a guy, I think, that shines for him, if not outright on offense, at least on special teams this year. Kool-Aid McKinstry is a guy Nick Saban circled. He does this with one or two defensive backs every cycle, it seems, and just attaches himself at the hip with Velcro to a player. Well, McKinstry is that kid this year. And so I think very early on, he's going to have a role on this team. J.C. Latham was one of the top overall rated offensive tackles out of this cycle, running with the twos, I think, right now at right tackle. He's a guy that could, depending on how that offensive line shakes out, not in week one, but week seven, week eight, you could see him make a move there. So special teams units, at the very least, will just be littered with these kids. But those are some of the names that I'm hearing mentioned. Also, going down the road a little ways to Auburn, I've had a lot of you asking me, 
What do you think about Brian Harson? What are you hearing about Auburn so far? What are you hearing about the new staff there? And so I have not addressed this yet because I wanted to ask several people. You ask one person, they may have sour grapes. You ask another person, they may pump you sunshine. So you want to get a healthy mix. So I'm somewhere between half a dozen and a dozen people fairly close to the program who I've asked for honest feedback from regarding Brian Harson and his staff, how they're acclimating to things down there. And it's a mixed bag. Uh, There's some, if you want to call it good and bad, there's some good and bad. The good is pretty much everyone loves the vision. Everyone loves the philosophy from a football standpoint. Uh, They love the attitude, the points of emphasis, the foundation on which he wants to build the program, the principles. Everybody's on board with that. And make no mistake, those are very important things when you're building a football program. The things that maybe have people scratching their head a little bit are mainly administrative. A lot of folks, and this is understandable, would tell you they have not gotten their bearings about them at Auburn as a coaching staff yet. Again, this is totally understandable when you come from Idaho and you're trying to acclimate yourself in the South. I don't care how many assistant coaches you hire from the South. It's hard when the head man's not from here. And so Brian Harson and his staff still drinking water from a fire hydrant right now to a certain degree. I think what they're going to come to learn down there is there is a way that you handle recruiting and you handle media in the South and portions of the Big Ten that's just a little bit different. And it, it's not a requirement when you're at Boise State. Sometimes it's not a requirement the further west you go. But when you come to the south, you know, it's like being the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys or one of these very, very high-profile NFL media markets. You may look at your system, and if I were to have, if I were Brian Hart and I have my entire philosophy laid out on paper, it may say nothing about how you treat recruiting folks or how you treat media And you know I normally take the coach's side on this stuff. I'm just saying there is a certain rub that you have to and need to have with those kinds of folks down here because you come to learn they're not a hassle. If you're around the professional types, they're not a hassle. Quite the opposite. If I would imagine if Brian Harson were to ask some of his assistants who have been in the game down here a long time, they'd tell you, no, 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 you actually, you want to befriend those guys. At the very least, you want to facilitate some access to your program because in the long run, they are going to control every bit the messaging for your program that you are. And so it's just, it's not overly negative. It's just, you know, some folks rubbed the wrong way early down there. Is this going to matter when they try and go on the road to beat Penn State? I have no clue. I'm just saying long term, I think you'll see Brian Harson come around and they'll make a concerted effort. You watch and mark my words. Auburn as a staff will make a concerted effort to reverse that early narrative down there, which is called a learning process, and there's nothing wrong with that. Moving on, let's zoom it out and let's go nationally, uh, try and fit as much meat on the bone on these August shows as possible because there is a lot going on in these fall camps. So some national intel and whispers from fall camps here. I want to take you to Texas. It's been a couple of days or a couple of shows since we have last spoken about Texas. I, uh, I love Chip Brown. Chip Brown covers Texas in a very effective manner over at Horns 24-7. And so I was over on Horns 24-7 today, and Chip Brown was talking about the very latest in the quarterback battle there. Now, we spoke about this the other night. And what I told you was, based on what I knew about Steve Sarkeesian and what we have seen matters to him at the quarterback position, and then when you listen to the characteristics of Hudson Card, Hudson Card sounds more like a Sarkeesian quarterback than Casey Thompson does. So at the very least, I have thought it's been a very spirited battle out there. Now, that's no mystery now. We all understand it's a spirited battle now. But Chip Brown had a pretty comprehensive update over at Horns247.com today about the status of this quarterback battle. And I want to stress, 
going into the first scrimmage, which is ultimately where this is going to be decided. But I wanted to read you a quick excerpt, and um, you tell me what you make of this. This is Chip Brown writing about the quarterback battle. There are some team sources who feel like Hudson Card is making too much progress. He throws the ball too well not to be the guy. But others feel like Casey Thompson's seven games of experience, second reaction skills, and vocal leadership give him the edge to open the season against a veteran Louisiana team on September 4th. And now we get to the anonymous source being quoted. Again, you make of this what you will. Quote, There's a look-at-me quality to Casey Thompson with the way he posts his workout on social media and that kind of stuff. It's hard to read. It could be harmless, but I think some of his teammates feel like they don't know the real Casey. The bottom line is production. Yup, that's me speaking. Now we get back to the quote. If you're grinding and leading your team to victories, no one will care what you're posting on social media. What he did in the Alamo Bowl surprised a lot of people in the locker room. So the first thing I love about this is it has always occurred to me that Chip Brown writes team updates that could seamlessly be transitioned into a Netflix series. They read like a Hollywood script. So much so that when I go to work for Outer Bank season three, I may call Chip Brown. But secondly, what do you make of that? Because I've heard that before. Not about this race. I've heard that in general before. You'll get some guys that are very rah-rah. And I'm not saying this personally about Casey Thompson. This is a generic statement. I'm saying you've probably been around him whether it's the guy or girl in the office place or the guy or girl in the locker room, you've heard the rah-rah. What if you go out on the field and that's the second best at the job that is going to directly impact your ability to succeed? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they post on social media. None of that matters. If Hudson Card rips a 13 for 17 day for three touchdowns and no interceptions scrimmage off on Saturday, whenever it is they scrimmage, nobody cares what anyone's posting on social media. So a lot of that stuff gets blown out of proportion because Some writers find it easier to talk about that stuff because they're familiar with it than they do when they talk about actual football matters. Well, football matters will decide this. And it's really, really interesting because the main concern here for me is not quarterback. The main concern for Texas right now is wide receivers. The same stuff we were talking about in the spring. If they didn't get Xavier Worthy in here from Michigan, they'd be in a world of hurt. They're still not in a good spot, but they would be in a world of hurt. Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington to me, are the only two guys it feels like they know they can win with right now. And I stopped. Here we go. We'll do the horns up right now, but I'm giving you the number two. They stopped at two. Uh, Chip Brown echoed this today. Two names. Now, there are some other names that are young and have some promise, but we're talking about trying to win games that in one case you're going to be a single-digit favorite in, and then you're going to go on the road to Arkansas the next week. This is not a time to mix and match. This is not a time to guess your way to a starting rotation. you got to know. So you can figure out your quarterback all you want to. Who are they throwing the ball to? That's the biggest question at Texas, and they do not have that figured out right now. What's the situation at Southern Cal? Let's go all the way across the country here. What's the real story at USC? So we have talked at length about how it feels like there's a lot more trepidation the closer you get to the program than there is nationally. And I was listening to our show that we did the other night, and it struck me that I may have taken, what am I looking at? we got comic books on the wall over here. Sometimes I get distracted by them. It may have been that I took a little bit too negative a tone. I made it sound like Southern Cal had no shot in the Pac-12 South. That's not it at all. I hold this program to a really high standard. I almost think like a Southern Cal fan. So when I talk about them, I am speaking about them with the entire backdrop being a national contending standard. And if they're not there, then it's not good enough for me. So understand that when I'm talking about Southern Cal. But 
What's the real story here? Well, the real story is at quarterback. Now we can talk about quarterback because that is the name of the game at Southern Cal. You may think to yourself, if you just flip through a preview magazine and you're a Minnesota fan who otherwise doesn't follow this program, you'd say, what happened? Did Keaton Slovis get hurt? No, he's not hurt. Well, did he quit the football team? Well, what are we talking about quarterback here? Quarterback's decided at Southern Cal. Well, it may be, but they're in a really good spot. They're in a really good spot because I think they may have three guys they can win with. And you don't know much about the other two if you don't follow recruiting because they're true freshmen. Jackson Dart is making big moves at Southern Cal. This is the talk of fall camp right now. It's certainly the talk of a lot of the team insiders at USC. And I was reading Blake Brockermeyer, for example, who does a lot of the national camp intel stuff for us on 247sports.com. And he was writing about this yesterday. said he had talked to some people at Southern Cal, and all they wanted to talk about was the progress Jackson Dart's making. Now, who is that? You may not remember that name. It's a great quarterback name. But you may not remember him if you don't follow recruiting. This is a guy that I think our rankings council had some trouble with. Remember, there were some places playing high school football, other places weren't. So Jackson Dart ended up rocketing up the 24-7 player rankings. I think he finished number 69 overall in the country. So he's a four-star kid, top 100 kid. But even at that lofty rating, there were some people out there who would tell you, I don't care what he's rated, circle that kid. In my mind, he is a five-star, slam dunk, can't miss. He's one of the best I've seen. Well, okay, you just file that away. Well, now I'm, I'm flipping through the Rolodex in my head because I start to hear it. It's kind of manifesting itself. And I'm not telling you quarterback controversy because I don't believe in the phrase. But I am telling you, I don't think Keaton Slovis is in a position here where they can go out there to start the season and they're just ho-humming their way to victories and this offense is sputtering along. I think he's got pressure on him. His coaching staff understands they got pressure on them. So if you think that they're going to maintain status quo just for the sake of status quo, you're kidding yourself. I want to read you this. This is from our Blair Angulo. I'm going to briefly read so you know what this kid's about. And then I'm talking about Jackson Dart, the kind of scouting report we had on him. There's some pretty rare language in here. I read a lot of these quarterback scouting reports. Our guys don't talk like this very often. Prototypical size for the position. Accurate passer, great feel for the game, good arm strength and timing, versatility to operate different looks, tremendous touch, anticipation to fit throws between levels, athletic, gritty enough to run for tough yardage, flashes all the intangibles necessary, can sustain zip on his throws when rolling outside the pocket, potential multi-year starter at the Power 5 level, projects as a future NFL draft selection. That guy is capable of playing winning football for Southern Cal this year. I don't know if he will play this year. I'm telling you, a lot of people around that program think he's there now as a true freshman. And that is a mouthful. That's why I don't say it lightly. Let's move on. Let's go from USC all across the country to UNC. At North Carolina, what's the name we have continued to speak about at North Carolina? Well, on this show, it's been Ty Chandler. We adopted him. We adopted young Ty, who's not young at all, into our family here. And so he's one of ours. But we need more than Ty Chandler in the running back room there at North Carolina. I was doing the Inside Carolina YouTube show right after our show the other night, and we're kind of going back and forth. And some of the guys there think that he's not quite the hinge player that I think he is. And one of the best strategies, if you're a national host, is to go on a website where all those folks do is follow that one team all day, every day, and disagree with them. What a great strategy I chose. But I do feel this way. I do feel this way about Ty Chandler. I think he's a very very disproportionately important player in the context of the ACC race, maybe even the playoff race. But I need to get him some help. And I think they found it. I think they're starting to develop some depth there. Uh, This is not a new name to Tar Heel fans, but I think 
Caleb Hood may be a name you want to keep an eye on. He is a different style back now. He is 5'11", 230 at the moment. So obviously, he's not a guy that you're going to use like Steve Sarkeesian used Najee Harris last year. Different skill set, even the Ty Chandler. But he's a guy that you can clearly tell just by the body type alone can take 8 to 12 carries off of your shoulders if you want him to or more and be very effective. I think they're where they want to be at wide receiver. The team thinks they're where they want to be at wide receiver, but they've got momentum going on all fronts right now. Obviously, you got to win football games, and that Virginia Tech game is not going to be an easy opener, but pay attention to this. There is a massive announcement coming up next Saturday. Looked like I was going to have to go to this one, but I'm not. Travis Shaw is the number three overall player in the country. He's out of Greensboro, North Carolina. He is a 6'5", 310-pound defensive lineman. The smart money is on North Carolina there. And if they land him, it's going to be the biggest commitment for North Carolina and that staff to date. And that's a staff that's been rolling in recruiting already. So a lot of good things, a lot of positive vibes around North Carolina football, not the least of which is they're expected to contend in the ACC this year. And lastly, a program we have not spoken about yet. I came up with a new phrase, kind of a new term by accident the other night. Rattler. Wasn't talking about the quarterback situation at Oklahoma. I was trying to come up with a name to give a team that people are not talking a whole lot about, but yet they are, in my mind, expected to make some noise. And I came up with Rattler. And basically, that's the same deal as when you got the radio turned up in the car and you hit mute and there's just a sound coming from somewhere. And you don't know what it is, but you know the sound's not supposed to be there. And it's distracting, and you wish it would go away. The car's not operating as it should. Well, the Big 12 this year is supposed to operate as follows. Oklahoma steamrolls everybody. They get a stiff push from Iowa State. Texas, maybe, maybe not. But it's supposed to be Oklahoma with the crimson and cream confetti raining down in the Big 12 championship game. Punch their ticket to the playoff. All we have to worry about is what seed we are. But there's a rattle in the Big 12 car, and I think it's TCU. As much as I want to say it's Iowa State, and it may very well be them too, TCU's got a rattle about this team. TCU's an extremely dangerous team this year, and I think TCU could, could not only be a nice little story, this is a team that can contend in the Big 12. They very much can do that. Health is required for all teams, so I'm not going to even continue to state that prerequisite. But I want to tell you a little story here, because there's one unfolding that's pretty wild. Do you remember the name Marcel Brooks? Those of you at LSU do. Those of you who follow recruiting do. Those of you in Fort Worth know the name. But if you live in Norfolk, Virginia, does the name Marcel Brooks really mean anything to you? Probably not. Marcel Brooks was originally a linebacker who went to LSU out of high school. 6'3", about 210, 215 right now is what he plays at. But he doesn't play linebacker, and he's not at LSU. He has transferred to TCU, did that a couple of years ago, and he is a wide receiver now. The thing about Marcel Brooks is even when he was going to be a linebacker, he was going to be one of those freaky athletic linebackers because he is just that. He's a guy who happens to be big, but he can fly. He's got incredible quick twitch about him. He's got now a really good wingspan, but he's got really advanced route running ability for a guy who used to be a linebacker. He's going to probably start as a wide receiver for TCU this year. And TCU, need I remind you, has a cat named Quentin Johnson, who projects as a very early draft pick coming up, a big-bodied guy. He's a guy you can lean on. He is a game-changer. But now we're adding depth to that wide receiver core. And also, don't forget, this is also a team that has Zach Evans at running back. 
Zach Evans was passed over by a lot of teams despite his five-star talent because there were some off-field concerns. But all the while, the talk in the recruiting industry always was, if the off-field stuff ends up working itself out, like if he's not a problem from the neck up, TCU just got the steal of the recruiting cycle. Well, the off-field stuff hasn't been that big an issue for Zach Evans since he got to TCU. And now they're going to have him, second-year guy now, and they're going to have a couple of probably future Sunday freak-type guys. They're going to have a much-improved offensive line, which was the Achilles heel of this team last year, and they got Max Duggan there. Max Duggan. Poor Max Duggan. Forgotten. Seems like he's drawn AARP mail. I think he's listed as a sophomore right now. This is a very dangerous team. If all I have to worry about is defense for TCU, and I got Gary Patterson running things for his 45th year in a row, I think TCU is a dangerous team. So these are some things to keep an eye on. Uh, That concludes our national camp whispers and intel, but we will return to this very topic on Sunday. But now there is a lot of excitement about this season, as there is every season, but I've got a little bit of extra reason to excite you right now. Does competitive balance excite you? Does parity excite you? Does does the ability to contend for more than just a couple of teams for a national championship, does that kind of stuff excite you? Because that's all I hear people complain about, or it's a lot of what I hear people complain about in college football. And I hear the quote all the time. You've probably heard this. Maybe you've said it. The same four teams make the playoff every year. Fascinating, considering the fact, by the way, that we've never had the same four teams make the playoff twice. We're seven years in now. It's never happened. But still, your point is taken. I do understand what you mean. A majority of the time, it's the same few teams in the pool, and maybe occasionally a a random Washington or a random Michigan State works themselves in. But by and large, we understand who's at the head table. College football is always going to have redwoods in the forest. They're always going to have those monsters that stand out well above the rest of the canopy of the sport. But that doesn't mean you can't trim the tops off the redwoods every now and then. And I think there are a lot of things coming together at the same time this year. A lot of factors that are going to trim the tops off of some of these redwoods in college football, and it's going to make things a lot more exciting. See, the expectation right now, the new normal, if you will, in this sport, is for two or three teams to buzzsaw their way through their conference, not even competitive, and they lock up a number one or number two, number three seed, and they're all undefeated, and then we've got a couple of undefeated teams meeting in the title game, and which team's going to remain undefeated the whole way and rewrite the record books? Because that's what we've seen lately. Bama just did it. LSU did it before them. Clemson's done it. I don't think that's happening this year. And if we do have one, I think they'll have several more fights on their hands. I think they'll know what their blood tastes like a lot more than some of these teams in the past have come to know during the season. So let's talk about the reasons for a second. The first reason is very simple. Look across the country. Where are the slam dunk transcendent quarterbacks at? Where's my Trevor Lawrence? Where's my Justin Fields? Where's my Tua, my Mac Jones? Where are they at? You've got Spencer Rattler, and I will buy it if you try and sell me that. But elsewhere, you are not selling me JT Daniels as a transcendent talent. You are not selling me Bryce or DJ or CJ Stroud right now as a transcendent talent. And the reason is because I've never seen him win a game. They have all the potential in the world. I certainly believe in them. But we're talking about 2021, not 22 and 23. I'm not fearful of any of those guys laying waste to the rest of college football at the moment. And so that's one factor that I would argue is the most important factor, but I've got several more important factors here. I think defense is making a big return in this sport this year. Defense being back 
is going to greatly contribute to a lot more balance in college football. A majority of the contenders, a majority of the teams at the top of the sport have net upgraded defensively. Think about this. Is Alabama better or worse this year defensively? I think they're a lot better. Should Clemson be better or worse this year? Should Ohio State be better or worse this year? Should Oklahoma be better or worse this year? Everyone's upgraded. Every one of the big boys is upgrading defensively. What about North Carolina? Upgraded. Florida? Upgraded. A&M? Upgraded. All these big-time teams that you expect to be parked at the top when we get to the finish line, they're all upgraded defensively. You're not raining 50 points a game on these teams. You're not raining 40 a game on these teams. These games are going to be a lot more competitive. These meaningful games are going to be a lot more competitive. That plus the lack of transcendent quarterback play is going to create a lot more level competition. Maybe not when you watch, you know, for instance, a 30-point dog go into the horseshoe. No, I don't expect that to be competitive. But Wisconsin or Minnesota on the front end of Ohio State schedule, maybe they do have a chance. Bama going to the swamp in week three, maybe they do have a chance to get upset. Now, there's a third factor here. I'm not done. The returning experience levels in college football this year, off the charts. Never seen anything like it before. I don't think you'll ever see anything like this again. Bill Connolly over at ESPN uh, released his S&P Plus rankings today, but he also, in the feature that they released over there, he included his average returning production ratings. I'm showing you the chart right now. Well, our friends in Fort Lauderdale are showing you the chart, which I appreciate on YouTube right now. Here's what you're looking at. This is the average returning production percentage by conference. Now, these numbers don't mean anything to you without a baseline. Here's the baseline. Normal returning average production percentage is somewhere around 64%. That's an average for a team. The average for all these conferences is above that. Every conference has a well above average to an exceptionally well above average returning production ranking. That is going to disproportionately positively impact defenses. I firmly believe that. Every coach believes that. Like Every coach you talk to believes that as well. And there's a fifth factor. I don't know how deep we are now. But think about this. If you are any kind of relatively young team, almost half of your roster has not played a road game in a true road environment at this point. You got freshmen and sophomores, second year guys at least, that have not played in a full house. And you're about to send them out on the road. And so any given Saturday, some team is going to be playing in an environment that they've never played in. And you're going to try and function your offense against more experienced teams And you probably don't have as good a quarterback play as you normally do. There are a lot of things coming together. And lastly, this is an insanely deep defensive back year for college football. I was listening to some of the senior bowl guys the other day and reading what they had to say. They think this may be one of the deepest corner and safety classes, so defensive back classes, that they've had. So we've got increased levels of play at the DB positions. We've got home field disproportionately high value. We've got... No real transcendent quarterbacks, maybe outside of Spencer Rattler in the preseason. We have got a lot of teams that have net upgraded defensively. And I look at all this, along with the returning production levels being off the charts, and I'm asking myself, do we really think it's just going to be two or three teams that pull away from the field again this year? And my answer is no. I do not think that's going to be the case. I think it's, I think it's equally as likely we have a couple of one-loss teams in a national championship game, as opposed to having a couple of undefeated teams in there this year. But my point is, a lot of these programs that you have started to define as immortal and unreachable, they'll have mortality about themselves. They're still better than you. Bama's still better than the rest of the SEC. How much better are they? 
There's a big difference between them being favored by an average of 17 every week and them being favored by an average of 11 every week. I'm not telling you that's going to be the case. I'm telling you with Ohio State, Bama, uh, but across the board, Oklahoma, Oklahoma can be beaten. All these teams can be beaten. Clemson can be beaten. All these teams can be beaten this year. So that's fascinating. The returning production level alone was, I think, a stat that was worth doing that segment for. All right, I wanted to wrap it up with this. This is something that we would normally do probably after spring. But I wanted to really hit this one more time as we enter the season because 2021, I think, is going to have a very, very big impact on what we're about to talk about. Who are the next big-time head coaches in college football? you got a bunch of high-profile assistants out there. I cannot remember very many times where more assistant coaches' names were widely known throughout college football. And that means a lot of them are primed for a future head coaching position. So Matt Howe over on 247sports.com today compiled a list. We're going to do the top seven here, the ones that stood out to me, of assistant coaches that are in line to rapidly elevate to a future head coach. So I wanted to just kind of start with Tony Elliott, and we'll go down the list here. Tony Elliott, you know how old he is, by the way? I'm going to give you the age and salary of most of these guys. Tony Elliott's 41, making $2 million a year to coordinate offense. When you talk to some people in the industry, one of the first things they mention about Tony Elliott is he's very genuine in recruiting. Okay, let me get that out of the way. Tony Elliott's a phenomenally genuine guy in recruiting. Everyone loves him. I cannot find Tony Elliott's biggest enemy speaks glowingly of Tony Elliott. So he's a great guy. He checks all those intangible boxes. But I'll tell you what some people bring up very quickly when you start mentioning him. They say, go back and watch the Ohio State game. Clemson ended up getting beat by him in the semifinal last year. If you've forgotten, Tony Elliott missed that game. He was out, COVID protocol. And the thinking was, oh, don't worry, Clemson's got plenty of time to prepare. And, and, you know, everybody believes that even if a coordinator misses a game, you've got some kind of way somehow to communicate, whether it's legal or not. Well, um, Clemson was not themselves offensively. Ohio State would tell you they had something to do with that. But I'm going to tell you, and more importantly, administrators believe in the sport that Tony Elliott missing in action had a lot to do with it. And so his value offensively, if it wasn't already defined, was defined for a lot of people that night. He checks all the boxes, and he's had chances to leave already. Uh, Dabo's been very open about this. Both of his guys this past cycle, Venables and Elliott, had chances to leave. They pay both of them as highly as any program in America. Hats off to Clemson for being serious about football. A lot of other programs would tell you they are. Clemson backs up the Brinks truck anytime they need to. So Marcus Freeman's the next name I want to go to. Marcus Freeman's 35 years old. He's got his whole life in front of him, 35 years old. He's been a major riser. He was at Cincinnati. This was a major tug-of-war over the last hiring cycle, let's call it that. You notice how, how creatively I get around using the O word on the show, offseason. Terrible word, terrible word. Marcus Freeman looked for all the world like he was going to LSU. And Brian Kelly pulled off one of the biggest moves of his career. And he got him to Notre Dame. Defensive coordinator, formerly at Cincinnati, now at Notre Dame. He's walked in. He's not coached a game in South Bend yet. He is a rock star on campus because he's recruiting lights out. Uh, He is their best recruiter since the day he walked in. And I want you to think about what they're doing there. Clark Lee left and took a head coaching job in the SEC. That's what they're replacing. That's supposed to leave a big void. And I'm not downing Clark Lee at all when I tell you no one up there even misses him because they found a high-quality candidate to replace him. Again, that's not easy to do, but Brian Kelly pulled it off. 
recruiting at a high level, but also his messaging, everything about himself, if you want to call him a brand, it's all A+. You don't sacrifice one on-field aspect to get the other off-field aspect. Next up is Dan Lanning, another defensive coordinator. Got quite a few DCs on this list. Dan Lanning is at Georgia right now. He's the defensive coordinator there. He's 34 years old, making 1.7 mil per year. Dan Lanning is in an interesting spot. I would compare the spot Dan Lanning is in right now to the spot his head coach, Kirby Smart, used to be in. He's in a very safe space. See, at some places, you want to strike while the iron's hot because your star may fade and you don't want to miss your window. And that's true 95% of the time. But sometimes you find yourself at a program where you're going to be in the window for a long time because Georgia's never going to be bad. They're always going to have enough talent to where they're not going to be bad. So Lanning could be, I'm not comparing smart to saving. I'm saying the caliber of the program he's under is a lot like when Kirby was at Alabama, he could just afford to sit around and wait forever and make a healthy amount of money per year with a fraction of the responsibilities of a head coach. And he got to handpick his job. Dan Lanning is going to get to handpick his job. A lot of these guys are. But Lanning's looking around right now, and he's had opportunities too, but he's saying, I'm going to have opportunities every year. And I'm making, again, $1.7 million a year to live in Athens, GA. Nice place to live. Great program to be a part of. And if it comes along, it comes along. I'm not in any hurry to get out of here. By the way, I'm 34 years old if I'm Dan Lanning. I'm not 54. I'm 44. I'm 34 years old. So who follows him? is my next question. If Lanning leaves after this season, if he gets a big-time job offer, he takes it. You notice Will Muschamp just hanging around up there? Will Muschamp, I don't know how widely known it is, had an offer himself, big-time defense coordinator offer recently. Turned it down. To be what? Well, to be an analyst who has briefly taken an on-field role at the University of Georgia. Now, he's making all the buyout money in the world, so Will Muschamp's not hurting for money. But you would think... Ooh, a grinder, a football guy. Doesn't he want to coach football? He does. But Will Muschamp's playing the longer game. I think he has his eyes on that Georgia defensive coordinator role. And I'm not alone in feeling that, by the way. Alex Grinch, next up. This is another guy that can afford to bide his time or bite his time. And um, he's 40 years old. He's the, he's the D.C. at Oklahoma. He's making $1.4 per year. Very similar spot to Tony Elliott. Alex Grinch is in a spot right now, the same as Tony Elliott is at Clemson, where you know that your team's going to contend every year. You are in no threat whatsoever of your star fading, and Alex Grinch is entering his money year. This will be the year of Alex Grinch, because this will be by far the best defensive product Oklahoma has had. I think it'll be the best team that they've had under Lincoln Riley, and if it is, you know good and well what the talk's going to be between the Big 12 championship game and the national semifinal. Sure, they'll talk about Lincoln Riley, but the bigger thing they'll talk about is what changed around here. Alex Grinch is what changed. Next question, why ain't anyone hiring him? Well, they're going to. You better believe they're going to come after him. So Alex Grinch is in a really good place too because, again, he's 40, and so this is his biggest season coming up. He's been very smart, even if there have been offers come his way. He's been very smart, and he's, boy, it's going to be a good year for him. What about Rhett Lashley? This is the one that's most interesting to me. Rhett Lashley is the offensive coordinator down at Miami right now. He's 37 years old. Miami's private, so we don't really know what the salary is. He's the one who stands the best chance offensively to explode this year, which sounds kind of weird because he was the offensive coordinator at Auburn for a while. So you would think, well, don't we know who he is? Well, the thought about any offensive coordinator for Gus Malzahn, right or wrong, is they're kind of a figurehead. Gus runs the offense. 
And so people don't really know if they know about Rhett Lashley. And then he went somewhere for a little while and came to Miami. Uh, He's in a golden opportunity this year because he's going to have a very, very high-level quarterback, and he's going to have an opportunity to make a name for himself because this is the year a lot of people are circling for Rhett Lashley. If he were to do some big things with Miami's offense this year, building off of last year when they were second in terms of overall offensive efficiency in the conference, then Rhett Lashley would be a name that some people started to circle. Now, I don't know if the biggest of the big-time programs would come along for Rhett Lashley after one year like that, but I do think some pretty noteworthy programs would come along for him, and that's expected. That's pretty widely expected. If they do anything worthwhile at Miami this year, it's expected Rhett Lashley will get a shot somewhere. What about Bill O'Brien? That's a weird name to bring up. Bill O'Brien, half of you who tuned out for a little while may not even know he's the offensive coordinator at Alabama, but he is. Bill O'Brien is 51 years old, making a little over a million dollars a year. He was at Houston for a while, Houston Texans. And so every time you get fired in the NFL, people say you were a failure in the NFL. O'Brien was like a 500 coach in the NFL. So I wouldn't call that a failure, but you can call it whatever you want to. Here's what people in the, in the college world think. They think it's a miracle what he did at Penn State. And now that you got a little benefit of hindsight, when you realize the abject disaster that he had on his hands there, because he was there post-Sandusky, he was there as it happened, and as the penalties were handed down, and as the scholarships were ripped from their clutches, and as the bowl ban got put in place, and they still won. They were winning games. They were beating ranked teams up there. No shot that should have ever been happening. And he was so good up there and so highly thought of, the NFL came calling, and he was in the NFL for a while. Bill O'Brien will quickly uh, be in the Steve Sarkeesian position. If he needs to rehabilitate an image, he's going to do it pretty quickly. Yes, Bill O'Brien will have offers coming up. And Mike Elko, lastly but not least, he's 43, making a little over $2 million per year. He's at Texas A&M. Mike Elko is probably the least heralded big story in college football. Because what he's done with Texas A&M's defense is the reason, the secret reason that they are in contention for the playoff. They were last year. They will be this year. And I'm not sure. The only reason I put Elko down here and I talked about him last was I don't know what his goals are. All these other guys, I'm pretty confident they have aspirations to be head coaches. Maybe Mike Elko does too. I don't hear as much about him. And he's been around the block quite a while now. He's been defense coordinator at several places. And I know that he's, it's been a big deal for Jimbo Fisher to keep this defensive staff intact. And he's done it successfully and did it at least one more year. Uh, and now he's made A&M a place, and Mike Elko has too, where even if Elko moves on, Jimbo Fisher's going to largely have his choice. He can cherry pick at a national level who comes in there to replace him. But those are some names that if you're following this sport at a more granular level, those are names to be paying attention to because those are names, and several of them are set to have big years this year, that could be on the move because just as much as August is about camp intel, December and November, for that matter, is about hot seat talk. And so you will hear some of these names coming up at the worst possible time. And that means when their teams are smack dab in the middle of a conference championship and playoff run. Good show tonight. I am really looking forward to the Sunday show because that's when we're going to have a whole basket full of scrimmage intel from pretty much everywhere. And that'll be one. If we're starting to go over an hour on shows every now and then, that'll be probably one that we go over an hour on. And so for that reason, we need to save our voice. And so I bid you adieu and a farewell. For Director Colin and our entire crew in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.